Oh, hey, Luke. Oh, hey, what's up, Evan? Uh, uh, <laughs> hey, welcome to Scooby Dudes. My name is Luke. My name is Evan. And we are here to bring you all the freshest cuts of the oldest and newest episodes of Scooby Doo. We're talking about our favorite meddling kids. Uh, and the dog that I guess belongs to and is the friend of those kids. And we have a very special episode of Scooby Dudes today. Imagine you're watching Breaking Bad, and you get to the episode titled Breaking Bad. You know that's going to be an important episode. <laughs> right, exactly. Or uh, the day the day Walt broke bad. Yeah. Or uh, the gang enjoys the sun in Philadelphia. You're like, oh, this is it. <laughs> this is the episode. And today we're doing that episode of Scooby Dudes. We're doing Scooby Dude. From a pup named Scooby-Doo, the episode we're watching is titled Scooby-Dude. Yeah, have you ever wondered what uh, what Scooby-Doo was like as a puppy? Or what Shaggy, Velma, Daphne, and Fred were like as children? Today we'll get to find out, and you'll get to find out secondhand through us. I don't want to delay any more. Let's just get right into it with a brief apology for Evan's audio. I apologize. When we recorded this episode, I was sitting in a garbage can in sort of like an aluminum enclosure. It's a little echoey. You smelled. I thought the acoustics were good. Yeah, there's, there's... I thought it would help improve the episode. There's acoustics to the degree that it sounds like you were recording from within an acoustic guitar. Yeah, is that not a plus? No, because that acoustic... Is that not a boon no. to our podcast? that acoustic guitar was also in the garbage can that we had previously mentioned. Have I not blessed us all no. with, my, uh, with no. my audio Papa, recording? don't bless. But it's going to be good. It's going to be great. We hope you enjoy. We enjoyed recording it. I enjoy you, Evan. Please enjoy this episode. I love you too. Enjoy! Two dudes talking about Scooby-Doo. Two dudes just like you. Unless you're a lady, mm, this show is for ladies too. If you're LGBTQ, we are your Scooby-Doos. As we said at the top of this episode, what we're going to be hitting on is a pup named Scooby-Doo, which... We haven't seen this series before. This is totally new to me. I hadn't heard of it, but the premise is pretty simple. Um, the gang are all children. Scooby-Doo has always been a show that was for children and also full-grown men. 30 years later. Scooby-Doo is a show for kids starring a whole bunch of, like, teens, post-teens. I don't know how old I thought they were when I was a kid. Yeah, kind of like college-age, young adult kind of humans. Uh, but but a pup named Scooby-Doo is is like FUBU, you know, kind of, well, not by us, but it's 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 a, it's about kids for kids. It's basically how I would imagine Scooby-Doo being made from the start if it was made in just like flat out 1990. Let's just, we're gonna clean this up, let's just get right into it. First thing I noticed is that Scooby's palms have like I these... I hate them. I, I also made note of that. So weird because it's the first thing you see, Scooby's like showing his palms to the viewers like, don't shoot. And he's got like these circles, like a dot and a line around that dot, like a drawing of a atom. It's kind of like when you read early Calvin and Hobbes and you see the pads on um, Hobbes's hands or paws, but to the nth degree, it doesn't even make sense from a conceptual standpoint what these signify. I thought there's some weird character design choices here. The big first one you notice is Scooby's paws. And, and that's only because he shows them to the audience right away in the opener. I'm, I'd like to talk out the character designs a little bit just from a glance at them. Yeah, you know what? That's Let's get into that. Sure thing. Scooby, I'd say the paws are terrible, but other than that, it does look like a fair rendition of Scooby as a pup. Uh, you look over at Shaggy, and Shaggy, I would say, is also pretty on on model for what he is. As faithful as you could be, yeah. I think Daphne looked kind of the same. She had the same outfit. Her hair is short. 
one of the things about Daphne that I looked up on Wikipedia is Daphne's favorite color is pink on a puppy named Scooby-Doo, whereas in regular canon, it's purple. It's always purple. I guess she matured. The colors tell the story in Scooby-Doo. You have, you have Fred, who uh, looks more or less like Fred. He's got a buzz cut. He's got like a buzz cut. Uh, Fred really didn't sit right with me. He looks like a villain. He's got like Biff hair. Biff from Back to the Future. He looks like a bad guy. That's a pretty good comparison, actually. Uh, I feel like heroes don't normally have buzz cuts like that. Well, I'm not I'm not crazy about him in this episode. I'll say it at the top. He does have the ascot, though. Uh, and apart from that, he, he more or less is on model. Velma is the most cartoony of the bunch. Velma, Velma's got like this bowl cut. She's got huge glasses that really make her eyes bug out. And she's kind of in chibi style. Yeah, she's got like little like shortened limbs. Like like she's almost like a little person. Uh, the other thing I want to mention, just so we can close out the intro, is that um, Scooby Snacks are right there. They basically like communicate in the introduction. Uh, Scooby Snacks are a thing that will make Scooby do things he does not want to. It adds an additional kind of element that felt very Popeye-ish. I also thought of the spinach thing. Yeah, he like he gains superpowers. They give Scooby a Scooby Snack, and he like. Jumps up and spins around like he's had a good sniff of coke. I just rewatched that, and literally Scooby turns into a rocket and then explodes in the sky. <laughs> Scooby's dead. His bits rain down on the game. Like, was this really the point of giving him the snack? Like, was this your main goal here? Aw, oh, dang, Shaggy. Our 4th of July party's gonna be a total bust. Just give Scoob this, uh, yeah, give him a Scooby snack. You, you, know, you know what happens. Scoob number 47. We've had a lot of Fourth of Julys for uh, for being children. Yeah, scoop, scoop number forty-seven. Would you jump into the air and explode amongst the stars for one Scooby snack? No. How about two? Anyways, I like that the Scooby snacks are there. They're relevant. Uh, we see the whole gang being chased around by ghosts. The, the oddest thing about the intro for me, really, aside from the pause, was the music was very doo-wop and very very in your face. It's very and it's here's the thing. This show came out in the late 80s, almost the 90s. Mm. To me, it felt very throwback -y. I think it was, and I mean, just glancing at the wikia, it's, uh, it says they used a lot of 1950s music, which you definitely hear throughout the episode. And that seems like such a weird choice. This is supposed to be a, a children's show, so you would think you'd be trying to, like, get on their level. Anyway, so that's the intro. We get a, we get a little bit of a picture of these guys, and it starts with a narration by Shaggy. Which is in this kind of odd, almost detective beat way. Kind of like Riverdale. If anybody's watching Riverdale right now, sort of like how Jughead will narrate uh, what is going on. Shaggy is the Jughead of this episode. I mean, we pan down from a son wearing sunglasses, so we know this is going to be one cool episode. And we hear Shaggy say, Like Velma got a call one morning, and the next thing we knew, the gang was on its way to the beach. Like he's a hard-boiled... P.I. or something. Exactly that. That's exactly what it sounds like. Yeah, in spite of this, like, hard-boiled narrative, the music is out of control this episode. It's loud, it's in your face, it's every opportunity they get. They will intersperse, like, in between dialogue, kind of like this, Scooby-Dee-Dooby-Dee-Doo, you know? Yeah, Scooby-Dooby-Doo, Scooby-Dee-Doo. Every little bit of, yeah, like, doo-wop singing they can do in between, or even during talking, which is a bit distracting. And on top of that, the end, just one note on the animation is that they, they do an, inc an incredible amount of squash and stretch. There's a lot of, like, the tongue and the eyes. Bugging out, and, and the, their whole bodies are just kind of fluid and elastic. It doesn't feel snappy, it feels a little... Yeah, it's not as smooth as you expect from squash and stretch animation. That's kind of odd, but, I mean, it does feel very Saturday morning cartoonish. Like I said, I think if the show was conceived in 1990 when this 
when this was airing, it would look like this. This feels like a very meta show, and we will get into that more as it goes on. But one of Daphne's first lines of dialogue is, Oh, Fred, not yet. The mystery hasn't even started. They get to this Marine Institute to help out uh, Velma's aunt, Aunt Thelma. And before we even get into anything, Fred's like, All right, let's split up. And they're like, no, Fred, we, we need to learn about the mystery first, and then we split up. So it, it is kind of meta. There, there's, there's a lot of, like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And I want to make one more additional note. If I had been watching this show as a child, it feels weird to say this as a 26-year-old man, mm. but if I had been watching this show as someone between the ages of, I want to say, six to eight or nine, I would have had the biggest crush on Daphne. Oh, oh yeah. she's She's got, she's cute. She's got some attitude. It's, uh... It's not, I don't think it's weird to say as a 26-year-old that you are currently sexually attracted to a nine-year-old cartoon character. I don't think that's weird. Okay. <laughs> Stop. No. We're at... Stop. Pull the plug. Stop the podcast. Wipe this from the internet. God. Report okay. him to the police. I, I want to keep talking about it, but no, you've, you sh you've publicly shamed me. So let's just, let's, let's just I'll, continue. I'll cut that out. I'll cut that out. Daphne's cool. Especially in comparison to the Daphne of older cartoons, who is ostensibly an adult, this Daphne, yeah, has some attitude. She, uh, she, I think, has more dialogue. That's one thing I thought of in this episode than I think we've seen probably in any other episode we've watched yet. And uh, I'd say it's, it's largely being critical of Fred, who he's kind of made fun of throughout the episode. Yeah, he's kind of like a, like a crackpot theorist kind of guy. Kind of like a tinfoil hat person. Yeah, and I think Velma shares the role as the smart one with Daphne more. But to point out that Shaggy's voice has not changed yep, at all. It's absolutely Casey Kasem as uh, as Shaggy and Don Messick as Scooby-Doo. They're both the same. There's something to be said about the fact that they wanted to keep that familiarity. And, and one of the most uh, recognizable things about Scooby-Doo is Shaggy and Scooby sound like this. They couldn't give Scooby like a higher pitched voice like they couldn't do it to either of them but just to get back into the meat of the episode the gang got a call one morning from velma's aunt at the marine institute her dolphins are disappearing so they got to get down there to help so the gang rides up on some tricycles they, they're they're on the beach shaggy and scoob they want to they want to surf they want to hit the waves so they they pull out this whole setup they, they come out with their surfboards yeah their picnic tent and gear and all this stuff they just kind of like shake out of a blanket shaggy says let's boogie and shaggy and scooby start doing what i like to call a, a peanut stance it was so charlie brown so derivative it's like it's like they had rotoscoped uh charlie brown christmas <laughs> it's absolutely the inspired by is the most most generous way to put it because basically scooby and shaggy with their arms down at their sides kind of like do this like wild foot shuffle that looks it's so peanut-esque it's a peanut yeah it's a peanut stance uh daphne comes over she turns off the radio and here we're introduced to uh, a principal character of a pup named Scooby-Doo. He appears in the form of a seaweed monster that comes out of the ocean. That's right. Scooby and Shaggy are, are catching some waves. I would just make a note that when S Shaggy's like, ah, oh, come on, we just want to hit one wave first, Daphne's like, all right, fine. And Shaggy thanks her like she's his mother. <laughs> thanks, Daphne! <laughs> and he runs out. But once they're out in the sea, a seaweed monster comes up. There's an interesting gag there with Scooby's tongue. His tongue spells out Rikes. R-I-K-E-S. Scooby does like the 
wide open mouth scream thing, but no scream comes out, just his tongue sticks out and spells Reichs in cursive, which is not easy to read. And we have mentioned in, in past episodes that even though something is spelled out on screen, they will still read it for you. Is it for the benefit of audience members who are too young to know how to read? But there are a bunch of gags here where words will appear on the screen as a joke, but they do not read them out. That's an amazing catch. I didn't catch that. So, uh, the Swamp Monster scares Scooby and Shaggy, and Daphne says, wait a minute, I'd recognize those fins anywhere. And Fred yells out, me too, it's Zarg, king of the tuna people. Yeah, so we, we realize Fred is just, he's a whack job. There's pant legs sticking out from underneath this seaweed monster, so it's a dude, and they, like, unmask him real quick, and it turns out it's a new, it's a character who's new to me, Red Herring. For those of you who may not know the terminology when it comes to like tropes and like narrative and stuff like that, a red herring uh, is someone who you suspect but is never like the actual person. Yeah, it's like a false lead just to throw you off the scent of the real mystery. So we, there's often a red herring and we talk about that in Scooby-Doo when there's a character who's introduced who you think that's the that's the villain. And some are weaker than others. Uh, but this is a character who, he's a little curly, red-headed, ginger, bully child who apparently just likes to terrorize the gang with stuff like this. Daphne calls him a goon. Daphne calls him a goon. Apparently Fred accuses him almost every episode of a pup named Scooby-Doo. Like, it's a long-running thing where he's, oh, Red Herring did it. And Red Herring is, is kind of a jerk. Not a nice kid. He deserves a talking to by someone. In this case, he terrorized them a little bit, but a lobster is crawling on his back, and so he gets a little snip-snapped. We meet Velma's Aunt Thelma, and she's written... Here's the thing. I watched I watched Sister Act 2 last night with some friends. Uh, and okay. one of the, You know, it's, it's like a bunch of, like, city kids, you know, inner city. They become a choir. Uh, but one of those kids is smart. He just has, like, a ridiculous vocabulary. It, he looks like he's reading from a thesaurus, yeah. and that is what Aunt Thelma is. She says... I am pleased to extend hospitality to the cohorts of my relation. A sentence that no one would ever say. Like, you're less likely to say that the smarter you are. And, and Aunt Thelma is not super great, in my opinion, <sighs> but she did lead to one of my favorite exchanges in the entire episode. Oh? Uh, and, and that is, Scooby-Doo says, uh, the monster. And she says, no, the monster. <laughs> I, I missed that somehow. But that's hilarious as a joke on Scooby's speech impediment. I, I love that. Yeah, because it's like, yeah, you sure, you're a talking dog. You're a dog that can talk, but pronounce words properly. Yeah, we you can do better, Scooby. I'm with you on that, I'll say. Thelma's not the best character, but she's she brought them in. She's the reason for the mystery. So the gang plus Aunt Thelma, they, they go up to a dolphin enclosure where she tells them that this is where they used to be, now there's only one dolphin left, his name is Skipper, and then the monster of the episode appears. We hear the monster, and up to this point, all we've heard is that it's a monster. We don't know anything about it. In fact, we might even have thought that it would be a seaweed monster, much like Red Heron was dressed up as. Yeah, that's what I thought. And, and in fact, from the horizon, like from very, very far away, you can see him right up on the boardwalk, uh, and it is the headless skateboarder. Never called such, or is he? I think he's just called the monster. I think someone says the headless skateboarder, but it's only a one-time mention. Most of the time they just say the monster, but basically it's like a, a skater with like torn up shirt and shorts skating, and he has no head, he's carrying a pumpkin for a head. So it's kind of a headless horseman meets a skater dude. Uh, and the pumpkin head, the mouth moves. Yes, the pumpkin head does talk as the skater says, Dude, like, get off my beach! 
Oh, dudes. Get out of here, dudes. And that's the whole episode right there. And at this point in the episode, I said to myself, I hate this. <laughs> I thought the first from the first dude, I was like, oh, this is something I can do in a podcast. <laughs> I can recreate this dude. Dude. <laughs> and the many ways he said it, too. I got to say, every time dude came up, it got a little laugh out of me. Oh, dude, dude. Yeah, no, I hate that you, I hate that you like it. so much versatility in dude. It's like the F word in Boondock Saints. What's really notable about the headless skateboarder, and I guess that's how I'm going to be referring to him, is that he's a vocal monster. He speaks lines. And other monsters do make sounds, but they don't speak to the gang. He's capable of speech. He talks to them. There's some exchanges in this episode. Most of the time a monster will growl, and try to scare them away, the implication being like, get out of here, I don't want you here, and or I will harm you. Yeah, or if there's a gag, they'll maybe voice surprise or something buying into the gag to subvert the monster's character. Whereas the headless skateboarder is saying over and over again, like, get out of here. Like he, But he's like telling them. An interesting monster just from the start. And so we hear this dude on the horizon, and they go hide in the aquarium. Scooby and Shaggy... Obviously, you're going to dress in some mermaid outfits with, like, shell bras and uh, very voluminous blonde wigs, uh, whereas everyone else climbs in a chest. Uh, including Aunt Thelma. Yeah, she's, she's along for just this part. She's mostly an absentee aunt for the rest of the episode. And I thought it was weird, like, there have been episodes where, like, other adults will be scared off, like, you'll see them running away. But in this case, they're children, and there's an, an adult with them running away from the monster. And that really stuck out to me. But, uh, that, I mean, the, the upshot is the gang does get away, the headless skater skates through and skates back out, but once we're back outside, the dolphin is gone. And Daphne says, oh, hey, maybe he just swam out to sea to get away from the monster. To which my thought is, does, these dolphins just have, like, a dolphin doggy door? They can come and go as they please? That's what the dolphins are leaving for, is because you've left their cage open. Right, in which case, maybe the dolphins haven't been stolen. Maybe they just left. Yeah, that's what happens if you leave a, leave a bird cage open. I want to make. I wanted to make like a like a uh, Maya Angelou. Like I know why the the caged dolphin sings. <laughs> I know why the caged dolphin. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's keep going through the episode because there's so much stuff. Scoob, Scoob finds a scent. They're following him. He goes to a hot dog stand. You know, it's the classic, like, Scooby and Shaggy do not want to solve the mystery. They just want to eat. And then Velma says jinkies, to which Daphne says, to the audience. We square up on her face. And she says, did you hear that? Velma said jinkies. A pup named Scooby-Doo premiered in 1988. Dora the Explorer didn't come out until the year 2000. How about Blue's Clues? They're talking right to the audience, trying to get them involved, asking a question as if they want us to speak to our screen. And what is that first clue, Evan? Did you catch a note on that? Basically, they start following a trail of food. So it's like a jelly bean, it's a sandwich, until they make their way to what looks like a full roast chicken, which, disgustingly enough, yeah. is on the ground outside what is either a, a beach dressing room or bathroom. I would note all of this food is on the ground, and it's Scooby and Shaggy who are eagerly picking it up because it's food, but it's beach garbage. They've grabbed, like, some old grapes, an old egg, and a cake, a full cake off of the ground. Which is, like, you're eating at least two syringes. And it's not even, like, normal ground. Like, beach has, like, you know, like, sand. What yeah. is it? It's coarse and it's gritty and it gets everywhere. <laughs> As they say. So it's, this is a weird series of clues. But yeah, they come up to this changing room, this beach changing room, presumably the dirtiest spot on the entire beach. 
when there's this full roasted chicken in front of it, and uh, we hear from the changing room door, dude, which is of course a bone chilling sound <laughs> at this stage to us. Dude! And who should pop out but a smaller version of the headless skateboarder? And so we're like, well, he, he looks a little smaller than he was before, but maybe this is more of that, that squish and stretch uh, animation. Uh, it actually turns out to just be Red Herring. Who just chases them into a garbage can just because he's a, a little monster, I guess. Then the first of our suspects shows up. Her name is Sandy Sneakers. Uh, and she is on the beach patrol. And she, she confronts Red. She's like, hey, don't you shouldn't be dressing up as a monster right about now. And he's like, hey, why don't you take off your monster outfit? I wrote down here, like, Red Herring goof and or pickup artist. <laughs> he's Red Herring negging before it became big. Because, yeah, she says, like, you shouldn't Very... wear, like, a monster costume. And Red's response, yeah, as you said, is like, well, when are you going to take yours off? And he didn't say it quite like that. <laughs> But I think an alternate reading is like, eh? Yeah, oh gosh, why don't you take your monster costume? You know, that's what that's what Red's saying. He's not saying, um, I think you're ugly. He's saying, let's get you out of that beach patrol outfit. Uh, you're wearing this this monster costume, but underneath that, you're just a woman. You have needs like anyone else. Okay. And then... Uh, Red Heron is probably 12 years old. Uh, we're going to move on to the next <laughs> suspect who appears immediately after Sandy Sneakers leaves. So it's like, here's a suspect... And then, like, right afterwards, here's the second suspect. His name, Gnarly Charlie. Gnarly Charlie. Sandy Sneakers, we suspect a little bit because she's mean, because we get a couple of clues on her. She's got some fish tank and scuba gear in her Jeep, which she justifies because she's on the beach patrol. And Scooby kind of glances at the tracks that she her uh, go-kart left when she left. Gnarly Charlie tells us straight up why he should be a suspect. He's like, I'm glad the monster showed up. I'm, I'm pro-monster. I'm team monster. Basically what he's saying is that ever since the Marine Institute opened up, people have been sort of flocking to the beach. He's had a hard time surfing. Uh, the kids say about Gnarly Charlie, he sure talks like that monster, which he does. And so everybody's like, yeah, he's he seems shady. He seems suspicious. Daphne says he seems cute. Yeah. So she's she's so into him. He's, he's uh, I guess, for like a lumpy cartoon man, he ain't bad. Uh, so, you know, we've we sort of seen two of the potential suspects or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. we're, we're going to meet the third. Basically, Fred asks, oh, like, you know, like, the headless skateboarder is a skateboarder. Where could we find clues that are, like, skateboard-related? And it's fortuitous that he's standing right underneath a sign for Al's Skateboard-O-Rama. So that's obviously going to be our next pit stop. We go over to Al's Skateboard-O-Rama. They meet Al. He says that this whole monster business is, oh, it's terrible. Pit City. Yeah, because the place is deserted. There's no one around in Al's skateboard-orama. And, and the kids are pretty good about being detectives, which I think which I think is pretty cool. They basically ask him how he is at skateboarding, and Al says, oh, I don't know how to ride them. Just rent them. Oh, okay. I guess that's the kind of people that open up skate parks is non-skaters who are just in it for the money. Um, and I would note, it is interesting that the gang, like, hands him their card... And it goes about it with a degree of professionalism. It's something that we see a couple times throughout this episode, which is that they're in a business in this series. Yeah, they're the business of solving mysteries. Which is kind of weird. Like, these kids could go around solving mysteries and that would be fine and normal just as a hobby. The adults do it as a hobby. It's not a business for them. They're just effing around. Yeah, uh, they, they, have a, they have a van with their logo, like, emblazoned on the side. But they but don't have business cards. It's fun. <laughs> <laughs> they don't network. They don't. They're not trying to establish a base. They're not in this for the money. No, no, that's not. That's not what they're about. 
But here they are. So they're t doing it like a business. They're going to investigate. They talk to Al a little bit. Well, he doesn't know how to ride skateboards. He just rents them. So let's go looking for clues. Scooby goes sniffing around, and he sniffs his way over to a shed. Uh, and before they can get into the shed, what's his, you know, the skateboarder shows up. Who should rescue the gang but Velma? And Velma pulls out this suitcase. She sort of has, like, this ubiquitous suitcase that she pulls out every now and then. She, she throws it on the ground, and a ramp, like, explodes out of it. Yeah, like a giant inflatable ramp. And we've seen the suitcase at one or two other points up to this point. We haven't mentioned it because it really hasn't been relevant, but there's also like a giant supercomputer in it. Yeah, that's in the yeah. intro. It's in the intro, and at one point in the early episode, the gang is like doing something or talking about something, and she's like whips it out and starts tapping, and Shaggy like looks at her. He like glances over at her and then goes back to looking at what the action. <laughs> they foresaw that kids would be like looking at their phones. She's a dang millennial. That's what she is. Pulling out her two-ton computer at any given moment to check MySpace? Yeah, it must have been MySpace at the time, or like Zanga. What, what happens is the headless skateboarder, he goes up, Velma times it, said he'll be back soon. He crashes back down because it did not fling him away. It just flung him upwards. At which point comes our favorite gag, maybe not the strongest we've ever seen it. I like that it's here. I see what they're going for with it. It's not the best, not at all. But it's our favorite gang where Scooby and Shaggy or one or the other, typically both, um, do a little bit and get the monster involved in it to distract the monster from the fact that the monster's trying to get them. Uh, and the thing about the gag that I think works so well with other monsters is that the other monsters cannot speak. And I think it really throws it off. Because Shaggy says, like, wait, like, before we start this chase, we need the proper safety gear. And then the monster is, like, responding. He's like, man, or like, all right. Yeah, and, and Shaggy's, as Shaggy's going down the checklist, he's like, helmets, check. Everyone's wearing helmets, knee pads. Or, no, everyone's wearing knee pads, elbow pads, check. The monster's like, hurry up! And Shaggy says, don't have a cow. I am hurrying, monster. And the monster's like, I'm here, dude. And the monster... <laughs> And the monster's like, sort of polite, I write, I'm here to, yeah. That's exactly right. That actually slayed me, that part there. Uh, so yeah, they've, they've sort of created this bit, which again, is very meta, because they're saying that there will be a chase scene or a chase sequence. Mm. But they need to do it safely. But they get him in on it, but then their way of sort of like throwing him off is Shaggy takes a whole bunch of like elbow pads and knee pads helmets, passes them to the headless skateboarder and says, for the next if anybody else needs these, you have them, you'll be ready. And then they run away. And that's how they get away from it. And so it is, I mean, it's trying to take a moment to be educational and say, like, hey, safety matters. And and there's other lessons to be learned in this show. We will, oh, we're so close to it. Okay, let's just, let's just we're going we're gonna to speed along. Uh, they leave, having escaped the monster. They decide to go back, because obviously they're not supposed to go into the shed. They haven't gotten permission from Al to investigate around. Fred specifically says, let's go back when no one will know we're there. And it's like, oh, so we're going to trespass. That's that's what we're doing. Okay, that's something we can teach to kids. Wear your knee pads while you trespass. It is nighttime. They're back at the shed. Fred's ideas involve going up to the roof and, like, sawing through it, and then, like, tunneling underneath. And Daphne's kind of like, let's just take the door. And she tries the, uh, the door handle. Again, Fred, you moron. Just uh, do the obvious thing. Daphne's kind of taking like a strong leadership role. She does. There is an interesting point immediately what follows, which is the shed is a total mess on the inside. And so it's a total wreck. Such a mess. It pans across the shed. It's like, it's like cobwebby. It's dusty. A hand appears on the right side of the screen holding a sign that says, messy isn't it yeah like what you would expect if if bugs bunny was the host of one of those hoarders tv shows it's weird it's a, just a disembodied hand not from any character 
And, and again, this is like one of those things where it's a visual guide that you have to read to get. And, uh, and the interesting part for me about Daphne taking such an important in-charge role is that immediately after that, they go in and the place is so messy. The shed is a mess. It's dirty. It's sloppy. Daphne says, this place is grody. And she gets a vacuum from Velma and then cleans the place in like a Tasmanian devil swooping heartbeat. Which feels really regressive. It does. It's like Daphne's like in charge. She's calling the shots. And then it's like, oh, hey, I can clean this up for you. That's her real gift. Yeah, kind of like, I can't, I can't help. I'm, I'm oh, so, like, hold so me back. good at housekeeping. Oh, clean it. Uh, okay, so yeah, Daphne, regressive. That is kind of odd that they put her in such a power role and then just automatically switch to that. I, I wanted to keep, like, making bits about how, like, you know, she can't help but, like, bring a newspaper <laughs> to a man or, like, bring him his house slippers. Like, oh, which I realize are both things dogs would do, but also housewives <laughs> in the 50s. <laughs> they they had shared roles most of the time. Well, just to, to keep the to keep it moving, the place is now clean, so we can see around a little bit. And one of the first things we see is some trophies on the wall. Uh, and the trophies say "Fast Track Al," which is obviously Al who runs the place. And they're and they're obviously skateboard trophies. Velma pulls out her her supercomputer from her little uh, briefcase, and I wrote down here that she uses the internet. And then I had to do like some very light research. And I found out that public commercial use of the internet began in mid-1989, which is a year after this came out. It is, it is amazing, because the fact that she pops open her computer at multiple points in the show to research something, it's, it's so weird. Like, it, it seems like they're trying to reinforce how valuable this resource is before it existed. There was just this whole idea that if you had a supercomputer, it could do anything. Right? Like, you're, you're, a supercomputer would just have, like, access to, like, every da database. But, yeah, it's kind of treated like this universal resource, kind of like uh, computer techs are in CSI shows. It's a deus ex machina. I mean, if, but if you think about it, if you think about, like, both Batman, the animated series, and, like, Dexter's Lab, it's like, yeah, if you had a computer, this is just, like, what computers did. You could ask a computer to do things, and it would do them. Uh, which is all to say, I know that was a little bit of a tangent, Daphne, or sorry, Velma finds out that he was an international skateboard champ until he got involved in drugs. And Scooby gasps, drugs? Yeah, yuck. Truly. He spit, he, he like makes yeah. a yuck sound and spits. And up to that point, when, when we're learning about Al's backstory and they're like, hey, he used to be a skateboard champion. They're kind of like admiring of him. And it's like, we already know he's lied to us at this stage, but that hasn't turned us off of him. It's once Velma mentions he got involved with drugs. And now he's the scum of the earth. He is. Scooby's disgusted by drugs. He, again, says yuck and spits. Velma, who at this point has just been reading very, like, unbiased like a reporter, we see her brows furrow. There's a deep V. That's not very smart. Drugs can mess you up, even kill you. And then Scooby gulps audibly. Which, look, you know, this is true. These are true things. But, like, Fred is so mad. Oh. They, they head over, and he starts banging on Al's door. Fred says, oh, that makes me mad. That Al has some questions to answer. And, no, like, I'm not saying drugs are all fine, but there's a huge difference between some drugs and other drugs, and demonizing drug users, regardless of whether you like a particular drug or not, is never a good idea. Yeah, like, you shouldn't 
if someone is addicted to like cocaine, the healthy response is not to be mad at them and then bang on their door in the middle of the night. Yeah, as, as Fred does. They want to go confront this guy. As a child, like don't be a child banging on the door of a drug addict. <laughs> okay, yeah, just, just first rule, regardless of how accepting you are of drug use, if you're a child, don't bang on the door of a drug addict. And, and just the, the demonizing of drug use here. It's, it's sad knowing where, I mean, the, the war on drugs has taken us in this day and age, not to get too political. Yeah, do you want to just, so what happens when Al opens the door? Al opens the door, and Fred keeps knocking for a second, because Fred's kind of daft, and he knocks. And you hear this kind of, like, fleshy, kind of like, yeah. uh, okay, sorry, that's not the sound. I was going to do, like, a... <laughs> that's not the sound. It's like, you know, someone, like, lightly, lightly punching. No, we, we just see Fred's arm moving, and we see Fred. We don't see okay, what he's knocking on. We hear... stop. I don't... This... <laughs> Edit all of this out. <laughs> Explicit episode exclusive. <laughs> Actually, I will say, I thought when Fred kept knocking on the door, and then it opens up, and Al's there, and, and Fred keeps knocking, I thought it sounded almost kind of wooden, the sound of his knocking on Al, to, to the degree that I'm like, dang, Al's, uh... Al's toned. He's shredded. Kinda, he's shredded. It sounds like... I heard that guy has an 8-pack. <laughs> Dude, rock solid. But anyways, they're, they're confronting Al because, again, Fred is pissed that someone would have used drugs at some point. Makes him mad. Yeah, Fred's roy royally pissed. And, and we see Al, who's looked a little world-weary since the first time we saw him. He has a heartfelt confession. He says he used to skate, and he, he was successful, but he got involved with the wrong people. Ruined his career and almost ruined his life, is what he says. And he made like, and he made some mistakes, which really is a very mature way of presenting things. I was, I was amazed when they were really cross about the drug use. I was like, no, 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 don't do this. Don't go there. Don't, don't send this negative social message that's only destructive. Uh, but then they show Al as this repentant addict or this recovered addict or recovering addict. And you think, oh wow, this is teaching kids to be to not hate the drug user, but to love that they're overcoming their addiction, to want that for them. Yeah, because you can make mistakes. Like this is like a very like human thing that that happens all the time. Yeah, it's it's a reality that uh, again, it just to, to engage with it in a positive way is the is the key. And so he said uh, they they do kind of accept that, and they're like, oh wow. And he tells them like, you know, after I got out of jail, I used my last little bit of money and invested it all in this skate park which is now failing. It's, it's a heartfelt story. Yeah. And, and you really feel for the guy. You do, yeah. It's It feels real for a kid's show. Yeah. It's, it's heavy. It's yeah. heavy. It's, it's super heavy. So that's that, that's just a weird moment. From there, I don't know how we cut to it, but we cut to Red Herring again. Yeah, and Red Herring is complaining because Sandy Sneakers is just hassling him, which yeah. makes sense because he's wearing monster costumes on a beach that's being terrorized by a monster. Yeah, and she's beach patrol, and also he's insulted her to her face, so, like, she's got reason. Yeah, so, like, stop being a little yeah. jerk, and maybe she won't, like, be haranguing so Red's, you. But Red, anyway, is not liking this because apparently he lives at the beach. He's a homeless child. And so he goes to the gang, and he's like, hey, guys, I need you to clear my name, clear my good name. And they're like, Psh, you, you don't have a good name. Your name is a bad pun. He's like, well, what if I pay you half price? And Fred's like, yes, definitely. Daphne, like, directly says, like, great bargaining, Fred. Yeah, good business mind, Fred. But, but that's what they're on now. They agree to try and clear Red Herring's name. The last place they have to search for clues, since they've already scoured the beach, is the ocean. Velma has kind of a light bulb moment. There's only one place left to look for clues. Underwater. 
Really? Have we looked everywhere else? We checked the shed in Al's skate park. That's it. We didn't even go into the changing room because Red Herring was in there. But anyways, they've narrowed it down That's to it. underwater, so they they get their Scooby gear. Even though Scooby-Doo, we got to touch on this, is already decked out in scuba diving gear, he does not want to go underwater. He's like, hey, could you have told us you didn't want to go before we rented the equipment? This is like 60 bucks a pop, even though we're kids. Yeah, for, for dog-shaped uh, scuba diving gear, it is much more expensive. We had to bribe them enough to uh, to let us kids go unsupervised, to allow us to bring a dog. That that was a lot of out-of-pocket. Yeah, also for this whole safety thing, where it's like, wear helmets, wear like, knee pads, wear elbow pads. They are scuba diving unattended. Scuba diving is so dangerous, adult scuba divers are not supposed to scuba dive alone. It's pretty irresponsible, but whatever the case, Scooby doesn't want to go scuba scooby diving. He's, uh... <laughs> He's in need of a nacho-flavored Scooby snack, to which they say, oh, where are we going to get one of those? And then there's a vendor coincidentally walking by like, peanuts, popcorn, nacho-flavored Scooby snacks. And it's that voice makes it sound like it's a dude, but it's actually a very pretty woman. Pretty woman. <laughs> walking down the beach, selling Scooby snacks. Pretty woman. <laughs> nacho-flavored for me. Oh, not bad. <laughs> not bad. Not good, but not bad. That's our new theme song. They they make it down. There's a little bit of a cave. They find that the headless skateboarder is down there waiting for them underwater. Yeah. And actually, you know, I'm sorry. Can I pivot back real quick just to that moment where yeah, Scooby yeah, yeah. eats the nacho-flavored Scooby snack? It's like he needs it. And uh, there's this moment where he's floating in the air in this ecstasy before they go into water. And I think the parallel between that and addiction is palpable between Scooby and his Scooby snacks, and they've already brought up drugs. So you're framing you're framing Scooby-Doo as a user right now. I am. And I should mention that the vendor that comes by has like a trench coat that they open up and they have the nacho-flavored Scooby snack and like a little dime bag Ziploc. This, okay, this uh, doesn't actually happen. That they, Lucas they pawn off. In, in case you were one, in case listeners. Don't be surprised when we don't have that screenshot on the website. <laughs> It doesn't exist. ScoobyDudes.com, um, head over there for show notes. And... Anyways, they're going underwater. The monster chases them. Dudes! But what I, what I thought was a missed opportunity was he doesn't say dudes with sort of like, you know, that like bubble effect? <laughs> yeah, like, like Pinocchio. Yeah. And it would have been perfect. Yeah, no, it was a missed opportunity that he was still crystal clear. Especially since like dudes, it's such a long, you know, it's, so, it's such an elongated word. Right? So yeah. you, you really would have gotten the full effect. Such a good opportunity for some good vocal gymnastics, but they missed that opportunity. We just had a, a run around with the, the monster underwater. There's a there's a little musical chase scene. Yep. Finally, they, they do get away from the head of skateboarder. Yeah, he gets chased away by a, a squid or an octopus. We are right at the end of the episode, just about. They find a cave, and they find the dolphins. Yep. The dolphins are all in the cave. Skipper's there. They're in a cage in the cave, and they see some tech, some gear that Fred initially says... Hey, it looks like somebody's into video games. Uh, and it turns out someone has been using these machines to control the dolphins to carry stuff, which is way out of left field. Yeah, this is, I was not expecting a red alert type mind control dolphin situation here. Oh, red alert. What a deep cut. Yeah, uh, but that's what they're doing. They're remote controlling these dolphins and they're using them to transport pouches full of drugs. They basically open up this like white box that looks like it could hold cereal or granola bars and it's full of brown dirt. So I guess like heroin, right? I guess. Velma says, Jinkies, it's drugs. And then Scooby, in classic Scooby fashion, does the whole like, 
Drugs? Yeah. Yeah. Chewy. Every time drugs are mentioned, Scooby does that to a T because we really want to reinforce the kids that drugs are disgusting. And then everybody gets so angry. And they get pissed when they see drugs. Drugs are their trigger. My gosh. And uh, yet, so there's cave. They're, they've found the drugs. They know this is about drugs. They see a staircase in the cave leading up to some place Velma says she thinks she knows. So now they're going to capture the monster. The kids have solved the mystery. We don't know yet, but the kids know what's up. We're back at Al's skateboard-a-rama. The, the gang asks Al if they can look for a few more clues in the shed. Al, I think at this point, is like, you were in my shed? No, he doesn't say that, but that's what he should have said because they never told him they went in there. Yeah. Uh, but he gives them permission this time. At the same time, I'll say... Right when they walk up and they say, hey, can we check out the shed? Gnarly Charlie is there. And as soon as they leave to go to the shed, Gnarly Charlie runs off. Yeah, he, he jets, basically. A little suspiciously. So, uh, basically, they, they do have a whole plan. Presumably it was Velma who put it together and not Fred. Yeah, because it's... Has nothing to do with red herring. Scooby and Shaggy are obviously bait, as is tradition. The rest of the gang is up yep. in a sort of like a like a treehouse without a tree, like a watchtower kind of area. Yeah. Yeah. And and their trick is they have these mind control collars, the ones that were used on the dolphins. Um, and what they want to do is drop they call it a harness on the monster. There's an obvious reason why this won't work. I actually just now realized that they're gonna drop a collar onto a monster with no head. Not even no head. No neck. No neck either. There's not even a stub. I, I don't know why they're thinking it's going to work. But yeah, it's it's a collar. They call it a harness, but it's just a little ring of tech that they're going to drop on this monster. And really, it's just a matter of logistics. If this headless skateboarder had a stump, presumably they could have dropped the collar onto the stump. I mean, that's assuming that you can slow him down or catch it on there. That's like the impossible carnival ring toss game. They're threading a needle here. Yeah, this is, I, it's going to be a steep plan. Maybe it'll work for the first time ever. Well, we see it in action. Scooby and Shaggy, like you said, are the bait. Uh, and, and in classic fashion, there's a plan, and the plan going awry is what captures the monster. The collar falls on Scooby. Scooby kind of like bounces all over the place. He's not in control of his body. He ends up uh, bumping into the headless skateboarder who gets trapped in a net somehow. And then they caught him. Like, that's that's the whole thing. Velma grabs the pumpkin head, which again, as as we've said, has a mouth that moves. And I love this part. This is like one of my favorite parts. Look what's in here. And Shaggy's like, brains? <laughs> <laughs> because, yeah, uh, that's like, great. that's an obvious thing that like might be inside of a head. That's absolutely what Shaggy would think. That's so in character for him. Oh, it's perfect. I loved it. It's it's obviously like a speaker. And they justify that the mouth is speaking by saying, it was a speaker in this, that's why the head looked like it was talking. Yes, that's exactly right. So apparently we were just like the kids, we heard the voice and we imagine the the mouth moving here's where it becomes very like we said like blues cluesy uh like door of the explorery where where the gang again turns to the camera and says well we've caught the monster but do you know who it is daphne again the spokesperson turns to the screen and uh, asks us if we've kept up so they go through the suspects suspect number one is sandy sneakers the reason it could be her is because tire tracks from her Jeep have been around all of the suspicious areas. Uh, the second is obviously Gnarly Charlie. Yeah, he had motive. He really liked it when the beach was empty um, from folks visiting that the Marine Institute. So that's that's reason enough to suspect him. And he talks similar. Fred comes out of nowhere. He's like, oh, number three has got to be Red Herring. <laughs> Red Herring, who appears <laughs> underneath from a manhole to say, hey, you're under my employ, Fred. I'm not paying you half price to, 
to find me guilty. He's also like, hey, do you think I'm a drug dealer? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Dude, Fred, we go to class together. Like, I know we're not buddies, but... Like, did you think that I, a 12-year-old, was mind-controlling dolphins to, uh, to transport heroin? Yeah, heroin. Like, not even pot. Like, we're not at that age yet. And <laughs> you think I'm bringing heroin into the country? Um, so he's Fred's a little bit rebuked. It's obviously not red herring. And before we can kind of come to our own conclusions, Velma says, well, there's one more suspect, and she marches directly over to the ghost and pulls the costume off, which comes out very, like, seamlessly. There's no head. The person wearing it clearly has a head. The costume is pulled off in one whole piece to reveal... To my deep dissatisfaction. It's Al. Uh, as they were going through the suspects, I thought, don't do it. Don't do it. Tell a better story. Educate the children of America. No, 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 no. It's Al the drug user. So, Velma says, Al's part of a drug smuggling gang. They've been using the stolen dolphins to transport their... Drugs. The longest pause. You, I think you sped that up, if anything. It was... I, I honestly probably did. And here, we're gonna do this together. What does Scooby say after she says drugs? Drugs? Yeah! Chewy! <laughs> Scooby, again, can't help it. The sound of drugs just makes his mouth water with bile. He has to get that out. <laughs> the sound... The sound of drugs. <laughs> the sound of drugs. Not even like the sight of them. Just, the like, word the drugs. drugs. Oh, it's so it's so disgusting. Hey, it just makes Scooby, me. He just need. We we have to go pick up some tampons. You mind if we swing by the drugstore? Drugs. <laughs> <laughs> That's so disgusting. I need to grind up a, a Scooby sack and uh, snort it to take my mind off of it. Uh, Sandy sneakers drives up, and you're like, oh, the authorities. She, she can take him away and it'll be safe. But apparently she shouldn't because she's guilty too. We find this out because Gnarly Charlie walks up and we discover that he is actually an FBI agent. And he arrests Sandy Sneakers. He arrests both of them. It turns out that uh, Sandy Sneakers was actually trying to frame Red Herring for all this stuff. And so they were, yeah, they were trying to frame him. And Sandy was in on it because she, she was the cop being paid off, basically, to allow this to happen. Sandy Sneakers says that she's about to take him away. Mm. Velma's the one who says, I don't think that's a good idea. Do you? Which is sort of speaking to the audience. At which point, yeah. it's communicated that Sandy and Al have been colluding with one another. And if you want to look at this picture in its entirety, you have four children and a, and a puppy, not a dog, four children and a puppy. With them are two full-grown adults who have been tra transporting heroin. And these kids are like, ah, I don't think we should let them get away. Yeah, hey, wait right there, you two. Don't do anything. It's not even like these are just two random adults. Like, hey, we're conspirators. We both know our lives are on the line if either of us gets caught. You, you think we're afraid of going to jail? What the cartels will do to us if we don't give them their money. <laughs> it's an extremely dangerous scenario. And obviously what diffuses it almost immediately is Gnarly Charlie showing up and revealing himself as an FBI agent. But in the split second before he shows up, that's like the most dangerous situation they've ever been in, barring like scuba diving alone. Gnarly Charlie shows up and yeah, he's an FBI agent. So he's there to actually save the day to be the police officer who walks these two out. Uh, and yeah, the episode wraps up. Just a couple of notes. I, I want to note that Al, Al said I lied about, we, we find out when, during the unmasking that Al lied about being able to skate to deflect attention off of himself, which I think was insane. If you want to deflect attention from yourself, why would you be a skateboard monster by choice? You run a skate park. 
And also, it's it's public record that you're a famous skater. And that's the thing. It's a public record. You you were Al. He he had like a title, Fast Track Al, which I think spoke to uh, you know the veins on his inner arms. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. Um, he, yeah, he he was fast track. Al. He was he was an internationally re- renowned skateboarder. But he called his store Al's Skate Skateboardorama. And then, and then he thought, oh, I, I want to do a monster that's not going to draw attention to myself. Skateboard monster. Yep. But I'll tell people I don't skate, so then they won't think, they won't come <laughs> I, to my I skateboard-orama. Guess, like, it, it really is proof that, like, once the internet comes into play, you have to do mysteries completely differently. Like, they literally just, like, Googled him. Yeah. Like, that was it. it, it that's, yeah, and really, that broke the mystery right there. They should have had everything they needed. But darn them, they made a crucial mistake, which was to believe that a drug addict could change his ways. That's the, the foolish mistake I hope no other kids make. Let's, let's run through the list, and then, and then we'll tackle Al. Yeah. Um, so what Sandy Sneaker says is, yeah, and we would have gone away with it if it weren't for those pesky kids. Yeah, so we didn't quite have a you meddling kids moment. Uh, and then Gnarly Charlie says, and don't forget their awesome pup, Scooby-Doo. <laughs> and Scooby's kind of like, Th- thanks, I guess. I, I get. Al-, Al still recognizes it. He gives props where they're due. But we did have, so we had a sort of, not really a meddling kids moment. We did have Scooby snacks. Those appeared. We did have the Scooby-Doop. Scooby-Doop, yes, that's that's the moment. Not the best one we've seen, but it was there. Uh, and is chase scene on there? We did have a chase scene, and you know what? I, got, I I'm gonna add to it chase scene with musical number. Um, did we have uh, people carrying each other? I don't think that happened. I I definitely don't recall that. I think that might have to do with the fact that they're children. No one jumped into anyone's arms. The p- people were scared, but not that scared. And uh, just two other things that are a little more rare. I don't think we're probably gonna see these often, if at all, in a pup named Scooby Doo. There were no eyes in a portrait. No. No moving no. eyes, uh, and no secret passages. You know what? I would say that there. I would say that there was a secret passage. Oh, you're right. No. The uh, cave stairs leading up into the uh, the shed. It actually leads up into the shed. So yeah, that's a secret passage right there. And that counts. It hit a good few tropes, more so than some other episodes we've watched. Even though the the show overall felt nothing like the classic Scooby Doo. I know. Uh, yeah. So a pup named Scooby Doo. Again, I said right from the get go. My initial reaction was, I hate this. Um, but watching it through and then talking about it with you, it's not terrible. Yeah, my impression watching is that I'm not crazy about it now. I mean, I'm fascinated by it, but I'm not crazy about it, probably just because of my age. I think if I watched this on a Saturday morning as a kid, the age of which age this was aimed at, I would have loved it probably. I also think that we picked a really weird episode regarding like the preachiness of it, like the anti-drug message. I definitely have chosen and I think succeeded in not letting that color my impressions of the show. It seems like a one-off thing to me. Other than that, I do think there were some good jokes in here. There was a lot of like classic Saturday morning feeling animation and gags. And I think one of the highlights for me was the mystery was so strong. They had a lot of characters. There are three pages of voice credits, 49 voice credits in total. There are a lot of them, and I can't, there aren't that many, there can't be that many characters in this episode. There's no way. You'd think there wouldn't be, but I, I, somehow they got 49 voice credits in there. All I have to say, there was a lot of variety in this episode. There were a whole lot of gags. There was no shortage of stuff going on. There, there weren't any dull moments, for sure. No. And, and I just, again, just to, to hit back on the mystery really quickly, I just love the fact that they, they showed us three potential suspects. 
And then the swerve at the end was that it was two of them. And that the third was also sort of involved. Yeah, I did not expect that. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. And again, obviously the whole thing with Al will cover. But for a kid's show that like asks the kids, like, did you see that? Or like, well, this, they didn't dumb it down. There was a robust mystery and they put it in there with the intention that we would figure some of it out. Some of it, like the fact that Gnarly Charlie was an FBI agent, that was not there to be found. That we needed to be told about that. Other parts were there to be figured out, I think. Even if, for me, I was like, please don't be Al. Please don't be Al. I was hoping they wouldn't go that direction, but they did. Uh, did you wanna, what did you want to talk about uh, with the credits? Uh, with the credits, a couple interesting pieces of trivia. Um, Alan Oppenheimer is credited with a voice credit. I'm not sure which one, but he's the third cousin of Robert Oppenheimer. Really? So just a little interesting back huh. there. How about that? Yep. Uh, the really, the gold nugget on this, and I'd say it's one thing that I initially didn't like about this episode, was the voice of Fred and the voice of uh, Daphne and Velma. I've said it before and I'll say it again, Frank Welker, the voice of Fred in the original series, is as much my favorite as Casey Kasem. Yeah, it's just as iconic a voice as Shaggy's voice. Absolutely. To me, that's something that I can hear in my head when I think of him. And this isn't Frank Welker, and I think that's part of what determines Fred's character in this. But Frank Welker was in the episode. He played the voice of Skipper the Dolphin. Whoa. Yes. No voice lines, just a little or, 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 or whatever, just some clicks and squeaks. <laughs> Is that what dolphins sound like to you? Or, 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 bark, bark, bark. <laughs> you know, dolphins. Meow. <laughs> I don't know. But Frank Welker apparently knows what a dolphin sounds like. It's amazing. They got the original voice of Fred in this episode as Skipper the Dolphin. It seems like, why would you bother? It seems extremely wasted. Daphne um, was voiced by Kelly Martin, a.k.a. Roxanne, from a Goofy movie. Oh. Which might be why she was so dang attractive. That might be it. That would be. That might be my brain just being like, oh, I like Roxanne. Like, Roxanne was... My first ever cartoon crush. Some people will say Nala from A Lion King. I will say Roxanne from a Goofy movie. <sighs> Who says Nala? Like, More people than you think. That disgusts me. <laughs> And I'm sorry. Look, I don't mean I don't mean to like to kink shame in this podcast right now. I just mean that there's someone. Even if you're choosing animals, cartoon animals, there's so many better options. Oh gosh, you're you're thinking the the hyena voiced by Whoopi Goldberg? Is that your Shenzi? <laughs> Shenzi? You know? Shenzi was what? all woman. Shen Shenzi is hot AF. Okay, different from Nala. Oh, man. But, yeah, anyways, that's a, that was an interesting fact for me. That was pretty big. I, th I think the thing is that Nala, I guess it depends on how old you are, but there's such a big time skip between, like, child-child and, like, full-grown woman. You don't really hit, like, that sweet... You know what? I don't want to talk about this anymore. <laughs> like, we're, we're done here. Just one more fun fact about uh, voices. Freddie Jones, uh, not voiced by Frank Welker in this series, is was voiced by Carl Steven. Um, one of the kids from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Uh, fun fact, he became addicted to prescription medication and died in 2011 from a heroin overdose in prison. Wow, that's... So Fred really hates drugs is, uh, I mean, there's an interesting meta fact there. I don't know what to make of that. Man, you, you want to just, just get into it? Let's, let's talk Al. Let's talk about... Uh... Let's talk... Let's let this get real. Fa fast track Al. Fast track Al. Oh, gosh. From the moment that they started mentioning drugs and took this angry judging stance on it it was tough for me because i think it, demonizing drugs doesn't help anybody so for me that was the tragic part of this episode that i think did not age well yeah and 
and I think I think what makes it very tragic, and I think that's a word that we would both use, is that they definitely do frame it as Al being someone who left that life behind, which is like a net positive, right? Drugs tanked his skateboarding career. He used the last of his money, he says that very explicitly, to start up the skate shop, and you're like, oh, like, that's nice. Yeah. He struggled, he went through some hard times, but he got it together, and you gotta respect that. It's amazing, they put in this work to show him as a reformed addict, and then they tear that down, and it feels like, why would you build this up? And it's a, it's an impressive thing to build and to present that to kids. I think that's a nuance that's heavier than I would set out to do, but I, I don't hate that they did that. I hate that they totally wiped that, I mean, subverted that and devalued that by saying, no, Al is, he is a POS. He's just uh, still selling drugs. I just, what's the message we're trying to draw from that? And you know what? And the thing is, in, in today's day and age, I feel like you could have done the same episode, uh, but had Al be the red herring, and have the kids be like, oh, once a drug addict, always a drug addict. That's the direction I was hoping it would go. And when they Al told his story, I thought, maybe he will now. Maybe that this is the direction it's going. It did not. And I feel like instead of giving the message that, like, hey, you can make mistakes and you can come back from those mistakes and make smart decisions down the road, it's like if, if someone's made mistakes before, they're going to make them again. I just, just because there was such a strong anti-drug culture, right, like at the time. It's just yeah. so prevalent. And I'd say, I guess just to connect it up, to bring it into the real world, in the modern world, it would have been just so much better to show it as a, a recovery process that Al was on and he has made some growth and to send the message that this is a, a disease or a problem that can be treated rather than shunned and demonized. I don't know, it's, it's getting a little preachy, but it, it was some heavy stuff. It's hard to ignore it. It's hard to, it, it, it's such a focal part of the episode that to not discuss it in this podcast i think would be like borderline irresponsible of us yeah and i i'm trying not to i don't want to make a statement about drugs or say you can use this one don't use that one yeah. like i think i think a scooby as as a scooby dudes podcast and you know what if, if i'm off base you know like be sure to shut me down sure but i think we can say that like drugs historically have ruined lives and like torn people apart but at the same time doing drugs doesn't make you a monster yeah or or a bad person or someone who mind controls dolphins yeah, so I think that's sad to see in this episode. Yeah, no, no, it's good. It's it's very uh obviously the, obviously the fact that this show is like a very a very special episode, right? Like that's and it sort of turned this into a very special episode of Scooby Doo. Dude, yeah, thanks for listening to our episode, dude. Oh, dude, it got real, dude. Super real. It did get real, man. It got real, real and heavy at the end there. So thank you, listeners, for sticking through our. Uh, a surprise after-school special. Yeah, really. I, as we started lambasting this show for being too preachy, we kind of got preachy ourselves. But thank you guys for listening to the episode. I want to direct everyone, if you enjoyed that episode, to some cool exclusive content that you can find on our Patreon page if you're a donor. Uh, we have been putting up a lot of like art, like work in progress GIFs, which is very cool. We are going to be updating it with like little jokes and that sort of thing. We've got some exclusive recordings coming, and in fact, for this episode, we have we had eight minutes of pure joking fun at the beginning that didn't really tie in with the episode, so we cut it, and it's gonna go straight up on Patreon as a thank you to all of our donors who keep our lights on. So why don't we take a moment and just uh, thank any new donors that we have, and then thank all of our existing donors. Okay, so we don't, unfortunately, have any new donors. Actually, I've just refreshed the page, and we do have one new donor. Okay, are you serious? Is this you again? Wait, do we actually? I don't know. Let's check it. Let's take a look at it. Take your time. 
dude. I swear, if this is if this is you again, I wanna. No, I'm actually excited. I didn't think this person was gonna donate. Yo, are you for real? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you, also Luke, for donating that one dollar a month. Man, I thought when Luke Doty donated one dollar, he was done. But also Luke is back at it again. Our Patreon is set up with your PayPal. You're just giving yourself money. Thank you, also Luke. I just I can't wanna... believe. You're really inflating our number of patrons. I cannot believe you've done this. Hey, that's one more dollar. Every little bit helps. Hey, you know, listeners, every little bit helps, even if it's a bit coming from my PayPal back into my PayPal. I don't want to shout myself out every week, Evan, but I'll do it if we don't get new patrons. So please, donate to Patreon so Evan doesn't have to keep hearing me toot my own horn every week. I, see, the thing is, eventually, this will cease to be economically feasible for you. <laughs> because Patreon will keep taking its cut. <laughs> you're, you're laundering money, but you're losing it. Yeah, I'm, uh, as it happens, I'm cooking meth, and this is how I choose to launder money. One dollar at a time through Patreon. This is unbelievable. It's it's. A uh, dollar pledged by Luke Doty, and then a little ways up, a dollar pledged by also Luke. Also Luke. Also Luke, you were a champion. Here's the thing that's shocking to me, is it says 37 minutes ago. Yep. <laughs> I wait until you check Patreon to see if we have any new donors, and then I go in and I donate. <laughs> because I want you to be surprised while we're recording. Okay, did we read out every single one of those other names? When you, when you donate to Scooby Dudes, we'll give you a shout out at that level that also Luke just got. And in fact, we'll give you a consistent shout out every week. So we're gonna read every single name of every person who's ever donated to us. That's, that's pretty fresh. Most podcasts don't do that, don't give you consistent credit for your donations, but that's what we do. They don't have that kind of time, but look, for us, it's worth it. You're worth it. So here's, here's some shout outs again, yet again, to our loving patrons. Leon. Thank you again. I, I know you guys feel like we're doing too much for you, but you deserve it. Now that we have shielded our Patreon as much as uh, is feasible, I want to I wanna direct you over to ScoobyDudes.com, which is our website. Yes, the other best place to find additional Scooby Dudes content. Here, instead of additional recordings, we have additional info, we have additional screens, we have additional jokes and content for you to read up on the episodes that you've already listened to and loved. Yeah, a really great way after you have uh, listened to the episode, pop on over there. It'll give you a really strong sense, if you haven't seen the episode yet, of what you might have seen. Check out our website, in addition to all that, for some sweet original title card art by actual artists based on the podcast episodes that we do. Find us on social media, mm. where we like to be social, we like to use media. Get social with us on Facebook, facebook.com. We are simply Scooby Dudes. On Twitter, uh, we did not feel like like locking down Scooby Dudes. Nah, you know we're these Scooby Dudes. Tweet literally anything at us, you are guaranteed a tweet back. Except no substitutes. The Scooby Dudes. And you know what? If you don't want everyone to see your message you're sending to us, it's a little sensitive. Send us an email. If you send us an email, we're gonna reply to that as well. Scooby Dudes Podcast at Gmail dot com. Scooby Dudes Podcast at Gmail dot com. Uh, and that should be it. Look, we are uh, we are intensely grateful that you gave this a listen, and we love doing it. So your listenership means the world to us. It really does. So remind us of your listenership with an email, with a tweet, with a donation, if that's where you're at on Patreon. Whatever the case, thank you for checking us out. It gives me joy to be able to bring my joy and Evan's joy to you. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my fart. <laughs> Scooby-Dudes, thanks. <laughs> <laughs>
were we not on the same page for that one? I thought that was very Jacob Amir. Yeah. I was trying to go BBC World News. Actually, I'm not sure how. Uh, are we are we good or? I think we're good. Um, okay. Yeah, let's let, actually. Can we do a quick thank you, bye bye, so we don't have to end on my fart? <laughs> if we don't want to. <laughs> no, I think we're good. Please, I don't think please we need... give me something else to end on. <laughs> I like that you're begging for something else for us to end on. Like you don't edit the podcast yourself. I need, I need your sound bites. <laughs> like, like if we don't record more, you're like, oh, I guess we have to end on the fart. <laughs> like it's not an option. To I'm, I'm going to edit the fart back. To, I'm going to edit the fart back to. Thank you to the following patrons. <laughs> Your donation means so much to us. Um, really, thank you for joining us for this episode. We'll catch you guys again next week. Oh, we need to talk about what we're covering next week. Yeah, um, we are covering... A Scooby-Doo Halloween. Yeah, we were going to save it for Halloween. Look, we love you guys so much. We wanted to give you some of that good Halloween content. Yeah. So, so a Scooby-Doo Halloween for next week's episode. Please tune in. And with all that said, thank you again for listening. Evan, I love you. Thanks. I love you, listeners. Evan. Evan, I... (laughs)